Welcome to the Hello Retirement Podcast with Josh Leonard from Leonard Advisory Group. In this podcast, we help those nearing retirement greet it with a well-prepared smile. Join Josh and his guests to learn the retirement and tax planning tips you need so you too can live your golden years with the happiness and excitement you deserve. Hear stories from his years of experience to help you transition into a fun and intentional retirement. Now, on to the show. Welcome to Hello Retirement with your host, Josh Leonard, where we talk about transitioning into retirement with intent. I'm Wendy McConnell. So we're going to talk about some scary things today, Josh. Yeah, we're going to talk about fears and addressing risk and fears. But, you know, Wendy, what's your biggest fear? What are you afraid of? Heights. Heights? Heights. I can't say. Okay. So tell me a little bit more about that. Well, I'm okay, like, on the top of a building as long as it's a stable building, like the Empire State Building. I feel a little woozy looking down, but I can handle it. What I absolutely cannot handle, a Ferris wheel. Oh, okay, okay. It's to hyperventilate. Like, I can't look down. Like, I just get panic-stricken. Oh, wow. So you're not going to the Grand Canyon to walk on that glass floor that kind of extends over anytime soon? No, I think I would do that. I think maybe it's the being up in the motion part that freaks okay, me out. Okay. Yeah, I think so I skydiving's out of the question. Though. Oh no, <laughs> I would definitely die of a heart attack. There's no doubt. <laughs> okay. Okay. Has that been stable your whole life, or? No, I didn't really notice it until I got older. Um, okay. I used to love Ferris wheels when I was a kid, but something just happened, and I just, hmm. yeah, I don't know. What about you? Are you afraid of Ferris wheels too? But go ahead, say it, say it, say it. Yeah, I'm not, I don't know. I think I'm cautious in heights. I think sometimes I'll see these videos of people that like are doing like parkour or something uh, across buildings. And I'm like, yeah, you're crazy. That's too much for me. Uh huh. But I can't say that there's anything that I'm really afraid of. I think irrationally, I'm a little bit too afraid of like if I'm at the top of a building or something and you're outside, that railing seems like a little bit more cautious than I would be on like a deck or something like that. Gotcha. But uh, not really afraid of fears. I was reflecting back as I was preparing for today's show and I was thinking some of my childhood fears. And I have a distinct memory of being afraid of crocodiles under my bed. Um, so I don't know what movie or where that was generated from, but in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, like the risk of a crocodile under your bed as a small kid is really, really low. I mean, anything could happen, right? Yeah, but, well, sure. But probably the biggest risks in your life around maybe five to 10 years old are not crocodiles, I guess, depending on where you live, but probably more likely that I would injure myself in some way or some other health related incident. Also remember being afraid of the basement when the lights were turned off, that it was oh. dark and sort of that fear of the dark. Like I remember sprinting up the steps. You know, I don't know what suddenly changed when the lights turned off. We all have fears, sometimes maybe not all that rational, or sometimes we focus on fears that aren't our biggest risk. So I think today we'll talk through some risks. I think with recent market activity, everyone's been worried about the stock market. Mm -hmm. For me in retirement, that's not always the biggest risk that people are under. So we'll talk about market risk a little bit and some other risks that you should address and be aware of when preparing and in retirement. So this is going to be depressing. 
It's going to be preparing for potential pitfalls so your retirement isn't depressing. Oh, how about that? I love it. I love it. So let me hear them. Throw them at me. Yeah. So we'll start out with health risk. I know we've talked about this before. Fidelity does an annual study and says the average retiree will spend somewhere around $300,000 on health expenses. That is a huge cost of care. Well, and that's after retirement. Yeah, that's yeah, or in retirement. So from the time you retire until the time you pass away. Without picking apart exactly how that number is calculated, I think one of the things we can do is, well, we can mitigate risk in general with insurance, right? So when we transition onto Medicare, once we retire, assuming we retire at age 65 or later, we want to mitigate that risk by buying the appropriate supplements or an advantage plan or make sure the insurance is appropriate to help mitigate that cost, especially of very large incidents. So if you were in car accident or these very unpredictable things, we want to be able to mitigate that cost so that it doesn't derail your financial plan. Yeah. Another big one with health is long-term care. So we've all heard horror stories of somebody that's been in a long-term care facility for multiple years and Really, it can wipe out your wealth. My grandmother's currently in a facility and it's nearing $10,000 a month for the total Mm. expenses for her to be there. And fortunately, she's in a position where my dad had actually set up some long-term care insurance for her years ago. So she's, she's able to stay there for quite a while, but that's something that can really wipe out your wealth pretty quickly. In her case, her husband had passed away a long time ago. So there's not that risk of a surviving spouse. But for me and my wife, if one of us needed that extended care and it took away all of our retirement savings and left the other one with pretty much nothing, that would be a pretty big risk and would certainly leave my wife in bad shape. And I'd want to avoid that as much as possible. Mm-hmm. That's nice of you. We appreciate that. as well. <laughs> but many times we don't think of this or we'll look on the surface and say, okay, Long-term care insurance is really expensive. I'm just not going to address that. But we need to come up with a plan for that. So for some folks, that could even just be setting aside some money for that long-term care, even if you're only protecting blank percent, right? We have some money set aside to help address that risk in the future. Smart. I think another big one when we think about health risks, and we've seen it, unfortunately, with quite a few clients, is maybe your health deteriorates a lot quicker than you'd expect could be a sudden illness, whether that's a cancer, or Alzheimer's or something that you have this nice bucket list and you think as soon as I retire, great, we're going to do that. And well, the market's down or something like that. So you try to wait a few years and then, well, unfortunately, you have a health issue. So we want to try to make sure we're taking advantage of things while we're still healthy, especially if one of your goals is to hike down to the bottom of the Grand Canyon. You don't want to keep pushing that off for many years, especially as you're aging. Well, and even just in general, I think so many people put off traveling until after they retire and these things come up and there's not going to be time later. So I say, don't worry about retirement at all. Put all your money into travel. No, (laughs) All right, Wendy. All right. This is a retirement show here. (laughs) Let's not get out of hand here. No, I mean, certainly I am not an advocate for save every penny and be miserable until the day you retire. Certainly you should be enjoying things. I think one of the luxuries that many folks have in retirement is that you have a little bit more time. 
So through the pandemic and now things opening back up, airlines have been crazy. Either things were shut down or more regulations and people didn't feel as comfortable. Or now we're seeing the prices have jumped up so much. So the cost of flying is so much higher. Well, if you're retired and you wanted to go out to the Grand Canyon and you live in Pittsburgh, well, maybe it's worth the drive and take your time getting there if you have more time. So instead of spending all that money on a flight, extend it out and maybe camp along the way or do some other fun stuff. So, do a cross-country trip. Yes, that but would you be. Are, you are re really intent on getting to the Grand Canyon. That's it. Well, I've already been there, so that's off my bucket list. But oh, I know okay. that that's a big one yeah. um, that we hear from folks. I've been fortunate enough to go three times to the Grand Canyon. So if Aww. you haven't been, I highly recommend. It's more than a big hole in the ground. One of these days. Okay, Wendy. See? And maybe once you retire, there you go. Yep. Getting ready for it. Sounds what else good. could be scary in our retirement years? Yeah, I think another one that's often overlooked is our tax risk. So nobody wants to pay tax. We need to, but no one wants to pay more than is necessary. Our tax risk is really how much is going to be taxable. So if all of your savings is in a 401k or an IRA, well, bad news for you, that's all fully taxable once you start withdrawing it. Depending on how much money you're planning on withdrawing from that portfolio, could put you in a different tax bracket and a higher percentage of that money would be taxable. So an easy example, if we use what's called the 4% rule, which is sort of a, a financial planning rule or a, a, a general rule that we use for a sustainable withdrawal rate. And this is a debated thing, but in a general, the 4% rule is that if you have a million dollars, you could take 4% out each and every year of that portfolio and not run out of money. So if we're looking at a million dollar portfolio, that would mean that we're withdrawing $40,000 a year. Well, if that portfolio is $10 million instead of $1 million and we're withdrawing $400,000 a year, we're taxed at a higher rate, right? So we get net less money out. If you're in that situation, we may wanna think about more tax diversification to help control our tax brackets in retirement. Another risk that we're currently looking at is our current tax cuts are set to expire at the end of 2025. So starting in 2026, we'll revert back to our old tax brackets. So for many folks, they might retire and be earning a little bit less money, be withdrawing a little bit less, but their tax bracket jumps up slightly too. So we wanna be aware of that risk and make sure that we're diversifying tax-wise to help mitigate that risk in retirement as well. It's a lot, Josh. You got it all, Wendy. Oh, <laughs> is there going to be a quiz? There will be at the end. Yes. Taxes can be a really confusing one, too. So many folks have started to prepare taxes on their own through their working years because, well, they get their W-2 and it's pretty straightforward. As you're transitioning into retirement, it's often worth a closer look. Are there certain things we can do to help mitigate strategy or to help mitigate taxes as we transition into retirement? And in retirement. So we're certainly happy to help folks there too. You know, we always offer a 15 minute discovery call. So if anyone has any questions or concerns, they can click the link in the show notes and I'd be happy to have a 15 minute conversation. See if we can at least give you some direction to start looking into to help you out in the long run. Under tax risk, I would also say that there's a big one of a large expense. 
So if you have a large expense or let's say you get sick of the cold winter weather up north and you want to buy a house in the south, well, maybe you're looking at taking a substantial amount out of your IRA or 401k to put as a down payment on the house. Or we Same could type scenario west and buy a house in Arizona near the Grand Canyon. That You could do that too, and then you don't have to worry about the flights. <laughs> but if you take that large amount out, it might bump you up a tax bracket there as well. So we're big advocates for having a, a pool of tax-free money or tax advantage money for those sort of unexpected expenses. Gotcha. So what else do we have to worry about? What are you going to help us with, Josh? How about we do that? Yeah, yeah. So I think in tax risk, I'd say tax planning. So just kind of looking out into the future, addressing some of these concerns that we went through to make sure that your tax picture is manageable. Now, I can't say that we can get rid of taxes for you, but we might be able to lower the total amount that you're paying in proper planning. I'd say longevity risk is another one. Many times we'll meet with folks and they think, oh, I'm not going to live past 80 well, my 95-year-old grandmother would argue that she wasn't going to live past 80 either, but it's better off for her that she prepared for a long life and she's able to pay for her care and sustain her lifestyle. So I would worry more that I would run out of money than I would a shorter life. Do you know what I mean? Like, I would worry, I would rather plan for 95 than 80 yeah. and then come 80, 82, 83, you're like, uh-oh. Right, right. Well, and that's what we'll joke that we don't want. Sometimes these news stories come out that folks are in their 80s or 90s and they find out that they're eating cat food or something like that because that's it. They just don't have the money to pay for their food and other things. And we want to plan for a long life. In our planning, we always default to age 100. Now, most likely folks won't live there, but we'd rather have that margin of error. If you'd only live till age 95, or if you pass away in your 80s, great, you had enough, right? Yeah. Another thing that we've noticed is typically in your 80s, you start spending a little bit less, right? You're not going to go driving cross country in your mid 80s to the Grand Canyon, most likely. You could, but the probabilities of that happening versus 65 are a lot lower. So many times folks start curbing their spending a lot more. I've also noticed with my grandmother that she complains about the cost of bread and milk and things like that. And, you know, oh, it used to be a dime or a nickel. Well, I don't know. At my stage in life, I just grab what I need and get out because got to get the kids home and make dinner or whatever the situation might be. So. And you need what you need. You need what you need. And I'm, not, I'm less worried about those prices because my wife and I are evolving our careers and we're still earning money. Typically in retirement, if a lot of your income is more fixed, so whether it's a pension or just social security, you're not seeing it grow at the same rate as hopefully your wages do while you're working. So you feel that pressure of inflation a little bit more. Mm. That will help us transition there to inflation risk. So when we're planning for retirement, we don't want to assume that the same $100 in our pocket is going to buy the same basket of goods in five years from now or 10 years from now or 30 years from now. I'm sure you've all felt it at the grocery store lately. Wendy, have you spent a little bit more in groceries in the last year or two? I don't know what you're talking about. Everything's been exactly the same. <laughs> yeah, I, I think... haven't heard anybody complain about it. No, <laughs> not at all. That's it. I think, you know, it, 
you used to be able to go and pick up your groceries. And I always say, which might be a little bit too low, but I used to feel like I could buy my groceries for a couple of weeks for about a hundred bucks. And now granted we have two kids now and our household setup's a little bit different, but I've had $600 grocery bills and I'm thinking, what is $600? So crazy amount of money. It has gotten a little crazy, but yeah, I mean, but this is something that happens, right? This sure. Is this more like on a cycle, like the rest of the economy kind of runs on a cycle? Yeah. So if we look at inflation rates, one of the things that we've always done with planning is using 103 year average because it does come in cycles right now. We are in a very high cycle of inflation. And if we look to three years ago, we were in a very low cycle. For most of my adult life, inflation has pretty much been non-existent. It's been somewhere around 2% or less. So we don't really feel it. Well, when all of a sudden that's edging closer to 10%, now we really notice that growth. And we see it inflation numbers via CPI track many different things. But like the grocery store or certain places that we're going more frequently, we might feel that in our pockets more because we're seeing it. It's a larger item that we're spending on. So inflation, we believe in time, will normalize, will go back down. And long-term average is somewhere around three and a quarter. So let me ask you about this then. When we say that it gets to be more normal again, does that mean that prices go down or that they just stop going up and that's the new normal? That's a good question because people say when we meet with clients and we say, okay, well, there's indications that inflation is slowing down. Well, that's just the rate at which the prices are increasing. That doesn't mean we're going to go back to paying the prices that we did three years ago for eggs or bread or milk or whatever it might be. So $1.50 eggs are done. It's never coming back. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, maybe grocery stores will play games there too, where they have lost leaders. So they'll intentionally lose a little bit of money on eggs to get you to buy everything else. Okay. Yeah. But, you know, inflation is a real risk. And I would say right now, one of the things that we've been talking through with clients a little bit more is the sequence of returns with inflation. So if we're in a high inflation period now, and these are your early years of retirement, when you're going to the Grand Canyon or maybe traveling to Italy or something like that, you have these higher expenses in a time where inflation's growing quicker, you might feel it a little bit more and we need to plan accordingly. If then inflation goes back to two to 3% a few years down the line, it'll have less impact. But if these are higher spending years, we need to equate for that too. So, so we stop eating for another two Stop or three. eating, yeah. Only eat cat food and walk to the Grand Canyon. Can't No, certainly we want you to live your life, but we need to have these long-term projections so we're keeping things in view. We say, okay, it's been on my bucket list to go to Italy in the Grand Canyon, so I'm going to not go out to eat as much for the next couple months to make sure that I'm able to afford this. I got it. All right, what else? Tell me, tell me. I think the big one that, that everyone always focuses on is market risk. So the stock market is unpredictable. We don't know exactly what's going to happen the next day. Nobody does. Anyone that says that they do, well, it's it's quite shocking that they don't have all the money then, right? right. So people spend a lot of money to make a little bit more than the market average. The market goes in cycles. We think right now we're in a challenging cycle, but I don't think that All of the publicly traded companies in the U.S. are going to go out of business and there's a complete risk of loss. 
it's in their best interest to continue to do business and try to grow and keep people employed and things like that. So it's a bad cycle. But over time, we'll assume markets are going to reach new highs like they always historically have. One of the ways we can mitigate market risk is by diversifying. And in the show notes, I put diversify, right? This is a word that I jokingly say all the time because part of diversification is having things that are not performing well at that time. I think an easy example to view in the last 12 months is everyone was overly excited about these tech stocks and stocks like Zoom and Netflix. They were taking off and people were thinking, well, heck, these are growing so much faster than Johnson & Johnson or Procter & Gamble, a more traditional company. Why don't I just invest more money there? Well, as we've seen over the last 12 months, those stocks have gotten hit quite hard. They've dropped in price a lot quicker. So by diversifying, by owning some value stocks and some dividend paying stocks, while also owning some growth stocks, you'll have things that underperform for a while. But as the market shifts, it helps keep you more level over time. Hmm. Okay. So tell me about three buckets. That's right. So in our planning, we look at three different buckets. We have our cash bucket, and this is more of our emergency fund. So three to six months worth of expenses should be in boring conservative money, right? So cash money markets, maybe short-term CDs, something that's pretty liquid and easily accessible. Yeah. Yep. And you might be losing, especially in times like this, money to inflation there, but it's there. So if the water heater goes and the roof starts leaking in the same week, you're not putting it on a credit card and paying 20% interest until you can pay it off. The money's there. And so that would be our cash bucket. Our next bucket in retirement would be our income bucket. And these are going to be, again, pretty conservative, safe tools where we're going to stash away an income for the next six to 10 years. So when we look at a market cycle like we're in now and the market's down, well, if we think we got six to 10 years worth of income in safer money, we can be patient with the market. You know, nobody likes to see account balances go down, but if you know you don't need it tomorrow, it's easier to stick with that long-term investment plan. Our third and final bucket would be that growth bucket. So there we'd be heavily allocated to things like stocks so we can grow the money for maybe that next six to 10 years, help refill the income bucket as we spend that money down or our emergency fund slash cash bucket. What is the 10% rule? Yeah, so another important one in thinking through diversification is we don't want to have more than 10% in any one stock. So people, again, if we think through like Netflix, people, oh, the stock has been great to me and it keeps growing and growing and growing. Well, what happens is it becomes a very large piece of your portfolio. So if Netflix drops by 60%, well, most of your portfolio is dropping by 60%. If we say, hey, let's not hold any more than 10% in one individual stock, we help mitigate that individual company risk. We also see this happen for people that have worked for a company for a really long time. So if you were given stocks or it was part of your compensation package or you bought some through your 401k, many times people will be very closely tied with their company stock. Well, that puts us at an even bigger risk. If you're income dependent while you're still working on that company doing well, right? If they're not doing well, they might fire you. So you might lose your income and all of your retirement investments are tied up in that company or a large percentage. 
i.e. more than 10%, that can have an outsized negative impact on you. So we want to manage that. We want to say, hey, the company has been doing well. I like investing and being committed with that company. Great. Let's just not put any more than 10%. Okay. Let's talk about excess withdrawals. Yes. So this is another big risk. Everyone that we meet with, we ask them to to tell us how much money they spend on a monthly basis. Does anybody know that? Nobody. Nobody actually does. Uh, (laughs) Okay. No, that's not true. We work with a lot of engineers. Engineers know how much money they spend. All right. The rest of us don't. Most people don't. So we'll undercut, right? We Maybe it's we put a lot of things on the credit card and we pay it off every month. So it's not like a bad financial habit but we don't really know what's on there, right? We might've bought Girl Scout cookies from a coworker or there's all this little stuff that we do. When we do a budget, nobody's accounting for Girl Scout cookie buys or anything like that. So we need some slack in the budget there. Many times people aren't accounting for that. And then they say, okay, we have all of a sudden a big expense on the house, right? So now all of a sudden we need to take out maybe even five or $6,000 all of a sudden these consecutive excess withdrawals, if we're not planning for that in the budget, we're going to get hurt. So I think houses are a big thing. Many people will say, oh, well, we've lived in the house for a long time. We've replaced a lot of things. We should be good for retirement. Well, if retirement's 30 years, things are going to break. I can guarantee it. Yeah. So we say, hey, you know what? You need to plan for somewhere between 1% and 4% of your home value annually in repairs, maintenance, updates for your house. Another rule that you could use is $1 per square foot. So in some areas, home values are extremely high for the amount of square footage you have. I hate to break it to you, but if you have a huge house, even if you got a really good deal on it, and maybe it's not worth that much, it's more space, it's more things that can go wrong. Very large houses have two furnaces, right? Those are two furnaces that can break then. Yeah. We need to plan accordingly. So we want to build something into a budget there. I think Mm -hmm. another one is cars. Cars die. They are a depreciating asset. The day we buy them, they're worth less the next day and pretty much every day then until they go to the junkyard or we sell them to another person. Yeah. Cars are expensive. Many times folks will say, oh, we just retired. We bought a car. We're not driving as much. I don't know that we're going to be replacing a car. So we like to build something into the budget and plan accordingly. If you normally keep a car for five years or 10 years, let's take that price, divide it by the number of years and make it like a monthly payment in your budget. So as if you're always paying for that, for our long-term projections, that way it's built in. If you don't use the money, great. You can take that flight to the Grand Canyon then. You don't have to walk. (laughs) Walking, yes. Another common one we hear is a family member needs a little bit of assistance. So, you know, maybe someone lost a job in the family or they're relocating and they need a little bit of help over the short term. It's like that. I got fired. That's right. That's right. And sometimes I think we've all known someone where things will happen in twos, right? So they maybe one of our clients' kids will just have their first grandchild and then be notified that they lost their job. Or, you know, sometimes these things double up. So we need to plan for that. Sometimes you need to aid family members and help Mm -hmm. them out. Sometimes parents are too generous with their kids and they need to realize the impact of that over the long term. So again, we're not saying don't help out your kids, right? 
but at least be aware of that long-term impact. If you're giving everything to them today, you might not have enough in the in your 80s or 90s. So we want to make sure that we're on the same page and at least being aware of those implications over the long term. So talking about all of these things is how we come up with a successful retirement plan. That's right. And I think addressing risk is a big one right now as we're somewhere in entering some stage of a recession here. I think Addressing risk is a very important thing for us to do. A lot of people are stressed about the market risk, but we want to address all six of the risks that we talked about it today. In future podcasts, we'll address three other key areas to focus on to help you navigate retirement, whether or not we're in a recession. So the next episode here, Wendy, we'll talk a little bit more about income planning. So we'll focus in on that income bucket. How do we make sure we have enough to have the appropriate income for us in retirement. One of the biggest fears we hear from folks is, well, what am I gonna do when the paycheck stops coming in? Like I've saved my whole life and now I don't even have the ability to save anymore. So paying yourself is often very hard. So income planning helps set up the appropriate framework so that you're able to do that confidently. All right, Josh, well, how can someone get in touch with you? Yeah, they can always jump on our website, leonardadvisorygroup.com. They can shoot me an email at jleonard at leonardadvisorygroup.com or give our office a call at 412-998-PLAN. And as I mentioned earlier on the show, if any of these risks are concerning you, feel free to set up a 15-minute discovery call with me. I'd be happy to talk through it with you and see if we're able to help you further. But the 15-minute phone call is complimentary. So any listeners, we're happy to help you out. All right. Well, thank you for joining us today on Hello Retirement. Please like, follow, and share with your friends. Until next time, I'm Wendy McConnell. Thank you for listening to the Hello Retirement Podcast, the show that helps you transition into a happy, fun, and intentional retirement. Click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. Visit our website at www.leonardadvisorygroup.com or give us a call at 412-998-PLAN. And don't forget to click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Leonard Advisory Group, LLC. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service professionals with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.